life is fucking hard. That's not the truth for everybody, but that's been my truth. I put up on Instagram, you know, you want to be fucking successful. You'd be able to be able to take more pain than anybody else. Like uh, I really actually believe that you need to be able to work harder. You need to be able to take more, more pain than anybody else to get through those tough things. And sometimes you won't get through. Sometimes you will not win. Sometimes you will lose, but you must fucking get back up. Mm-hmm. You must get back up. You must dust yourself off. Believe, like lose belief in everything else, but never lose belief in yourself. What's up everyone, welcome to the Life Livers Academy. I'm Jamie O'Donnell and the purpose of this podcast is to connect you with the people, ideas, mindsets and inspiration to empower you to chase your dreams, unlock your potential and live life to the fullest each day. Get ready for some inspiring conversations and incredible insights from people who are out there living life, having fun and dominating their chosen path. I appreciate you tuning in, now let's get this episode underway. Radio guys, welcome back to another episode of the Life Livers Academy podcast. As always, I'm super excited for today's episode. I've got a fantastic guest joining me on the show. His name is Pat McPhee, and he is an entrepreneur and creative leader. He's internationally recognized in innovation, brand, and digital strategy. He is the co-founder and global director of design and innovation at Indigo, co-founder of Monarchy, and also the co-founder of Choice NZ. He's someone who really does have his finger on the pulse uh, when it comes to entrepreneurship. He's full of honest insights. He sort of says it how it is. Uh, he's a very passionate and purpose-driven guy. Uh, really looking forward to diving into this conversation. Pat, thanks so much for joining me, man. Thanks, Jamie. I'm pumped to be here. Yeah, looking forward to the conversation. First question for you, man. Um, we've sort of just been talking about it off camera a bit, but it has been a crazy six months for everyone, bro. But how are you, like, honestly? Because... <laughs> The last six months, just to give people a little bit of context, you were in, you know, you're in startup phase with Indigo with your own company. You'd really started to get some runs on the board. You had good elevation. Uh, I think you were looking, you know, you had investors coming on board. Uh, you ticked off some really big clients that you'd been aiming to, to knock off. Uh, you guys were in Australia and New Zealand. You're doing stuff internationally. And you you're going to make me cry, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the space of a couple of days where COVID, um, strikes and you guys are on the back foot. You've got to start protecting everything that you've worked so hard for over that, that first year. You've got um, staff and, and employees relying on you. You've got your family and everything. Uh, you guys have just gone all in on this. But instead of just protecting your own business <laughs> and your own interests, within that first couple of days of problem solving and looking at what the future looked like for Indigo, you come up with the idea for Monarchy, which is a platform to help all small businesses in New Zealand and give them access to the mentoring uh, to try and help them get through this tough time. So you have an incredibly short incubation period. You drop Monarchy. Uh, you know, you've got a team, you're rolling stuff out. Uh, then on top of that, you know, you sort of got that platform going. Then you've acquired the, um, the Facebook group and rebranded that and turned it into Choice New Zealand. Like some, some amazing stuff over the last six months, bro. But what's it been like actually and, and how are you actually doing <laughs> Um, yeah. How am I actually doing? It's just, it's, it's up and down, man, to be honest with you. eh? You know, it is, uh, incredibly challenging in a lot of regards. Um, you know, physically it's tough. 
you know, uh, uh, I think my, my physical well-being has slipped and that's something that I'm trying to, um, you know, get back on par with and um, find the pattern and find the motivation that's going to get me to the place that I need to, to keep my, my body well because that's the engine that, that keeps me ticking. Mm. Um, mentally, I'm good. Like mentally, this is, this is what I do. You're in your element. So, yeah, <laughs> this is... This is chaos as a ladder stuff, you know, and I absolutely love it. And, um, you know, part of what I do is to find patterns in chaos and take advantage of them. Mm. And um, I think that that's why we've been able to achieve to a great extent what we've achieved. Uh, I, I'm a type of person that comes to terms with what's happening incredibly quick and then begin gathering information to help me to not just survive, but I don't know if it's a result of like growing up like brutally poor and like trying to find a, an opportunity to get some food or get some money <laughs> or like to get the things that you want. And like your eyes are always open and you're mm. looking around and you think where's the opportunity inside of the situation. And that has a plus side and a, and a, and, and a downside as well. Um, yeah, maybe that's it. But I'm just incredibly tuned into um, identifying the patterns inside of a situation and then understanding what pieces I have to be able to deploy mm -hmm. to help me to um, move forward because it's always, a, always for me about forward momentum. Um, and so move forward. And then if I can deploy those pieces in a way that gives me a, a unique advantage in the situation, um, it's sort of like the next level of identification and recognition that I go through. So mentally, um, I'm good. Um, my relationships are solid. Uh, and I'm just trying to find the pattern right now um, to continue to be able to uh, scale my organization. Mm. Um, through this current phase that we're in and so you, we've done a real good we've done a real good job of dealing with the chaos and now um we have to go again to get to the next level are you do you, are you more energized now than you were six months ago um, like, like do you feel more in the fight like is it you know when something like that drops is that initial adrenaline dump i guess you'd call it where you're like right you've either got a fight yeah. or flight reaction and i think good entrepreneurs go right, bang, it's game on, you know, that you've trained for this. That, and that's what we were talking about off camera. But then there becomes a phase after that initial adrenaline wears off where it's like, oh man, we're in this for the long haul because this is the long haul, man. Are you, how, how does that sit with you? Are you more energized now? Are you like, where do you sit on that scale? I, um, I don't really, I try not to deal with it on an energy scale. Like my approach is um, to build my base. Mm -hmm. It always has been to build my performance baseline. And so I think what I've done a good job of personally is operating an extremely high base, much higher than people operate when they're high energy. Yeah, right. And so, um, yeah, uh, I, I, I try not to let it be about energy. I just, uh, in my work, it's just about consistently high execution mm. across everything. Um, when I'm in work mode, yeah. What have been some of the biggest learnings for you personally, bro, over the last six months? Uh, 
I think the thing that inspires me the most, the thing that I've learned the most is that um, there's this thing in and around our humanity and our ability to be able to unite. And, you know, it's not like often you're faced with highly calamitous situations in life where, you know, um, thousands and thousands of people are adversely affected. And mm. um, I just, you know, we see the worst of human nature every day, you know. And for a lot of us, we look at um, the United States and the gas, we're like, oh, my God, what's going over there, going on over there? And um, so we see so much of that. The media, social media um, highlights that um, because, you know, that's what gets eyeballed. Mm. It's what gets ratings. But I was just incredibly um, moved by the extent to which people were able to put their own well-being and agenda behind the collective good yeah. or even behind the, um, you know, behind and get behind somebody that was in peril or was in a tough situation. So I'm refreshed by that because, I don't know, man, like I'm probably a little bit cynical, but the world seems quite fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's, it seems like this just gave us an opportunity and for a lot of people, and you heard it a lot during lockdown is that people were like, Oh man, it just, you know, made me reflect on what's really important. Mm. And then a month later we went off and did the same shit, but at yeah, least you had a, totally broke. <laughs> you, you had a, a point of reflection. Right. And yeah. I think that um, it may not be, you know, today, next week, next month, but you can't help but learn from those moments at some point in the future and bring those lessons to bear. So that's that's been a that's been a big one for me, and um, I think that you know what we've done with Monarchy and, and and done with choices, you know we've tapped into that initially, and and created traction around those types of messages, and for our brains, and now we have to go beyond that, which is what the next level is kind of like for us. Hmm. Can you give us a snapshot just <clears throat> into? like tangibly what that period was like launching all of that from like a, from a business perspective. So you've, you've just got a team on board. Like, I guess it's lucky in some ways, very good timing that you had just built the team because it meant that you could mm. like that, you know? So there was sort of some uncanny timing there. It was like the runway was there, uh, but you know, yeah. you vision and, and obviously the, the balls to get in and just execute and just go with it. You didn't sit around and wait. Mm. What, give us a snapshot into what that was actually like from like a rollout perspective. Yeah, sure. Um, it was about March the 12th when we started getting the bad news. Um, our services business, people were backing out of contracts. And and, um, and then by the time we had got to the 17th, um, we knew that we were, our services business was pretty much screwed. And um, that we would be forced, if we wanted to continue, to um, really change what we were doing. And so it was a, around the time, the 17th, um, that weekend, just before the 17th, actually, that we um, sort of had a look at the pieces that we had to put together. You know, we'd, we'd lost all up about 750K projected revenue through investment and customers. So that meant that we had 90 days worth of cash flow runway. And 
Andy Hamilton um, he's a pretty renowned New Zealand small business space for what he's done with the, the Ice House Incubator and services to small business. He'd just become a, a business partner and he had incredible Rolodex. Mm. And um, my, my skill is to be able to scale something fast, get traction, validate, and then, you know, take it to the next level. And so we looked at the current problem. We we're like, okay, uh, we're stuffed. <laughs> Um, we just lost a whole bunch of customers. We're considering what we do with our lease. We have to take legal advice on that. We need HR advice right now around if we're going to make people redundant. And, you know, is, uh, is, is HR law to the letter going to be still applicable? So we had all of these questions. Mm. And um, we were fortunate that we had this incredible Rolodex that we could call on to go, hey, what's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with that? How do you see this happening? And we were kind of, I called the team together and we, we had a, um, an ideation session around, like, what can we do? And it was in that session um, that uh, we thought there was an opportunity to help people in a similar situation with us. And as I was saying before earlier, like having been, like when I was in Christchurch and, you know, there was that natural disaster and a part of that and, um, you know, part of the consequent year that rolled out in support of that um, city and helping to get it back on track. There were a lot of lessons that I picked up in, in watching that process roll out. And um, one of the things I really understood is that you know, information in a time of chaos, um, in a time of emergency, is the most valuable um, commodity. Mm. Yeah, good information. So, good information, <laughs> yeah, good information, not, not, not misinformation. <laughs> and so we had the opportunity to be able to um, amass this incredible group of advisors who are people that have actually been there, done that in business, been through the last recession, have dealt with big problems before, you know, great lawyers, great accountants, uh, great digital, like just every um, category of business really. And so we thought, what if we could get them together, put them on a platform really quick and start driving people to that platform to start asking, um, you know, if you have any questions, you know, come here. And so we decided to do that on the actual, on the 17th. I sent it because um, we had a web dev company upstairs. I sent one of my guys upstairs to get one of their guys to come down. I said, would you guys be interested in doing this with us? We're going to do this. We're going to put up a Q&A platform, probably something like a forum. We're going to put all these advisors on there. And they came back and they like quoted me like 25K. <laughs> and we can get it up in three days. I was like, oh, nah, hard pass on that. <laughs> so I only had 90 days cash flow anyway. And so um, we decided to do it. I had an in-house designer. Um, we got to work on um, a basic design off the back of a theme and um, we put it up on Upwork the night of the 17th, um, found a, a developer in Poland um, who worked on the systems architecture for one of the big um, hospitals over there because we had a we had a hypothesis there'd be quite a bit of scale into this platform. So we needed somebody mm. that could just architect their way around a, a basic solution and provide us with a robust platform and all of that. And so we hired him and um, we worked through, you know, the entire weekend we had aimed to get live by the Tuesday, which I believe is a 24. Um, and like we knew that there was, there were other projects that were coming out to support small business. And then around that time, so we're hustling to try and get there to be first. Uh, we got to the 24th. We weren't there. Like, we literally worked around the clock, bro. Yeah. Right. Bro. <laughs> my, myself, my designer, 
we all worked around the clock. And then also, um, you know, I worked on brand and um, for that week, for those five days, I really wanted to create this brand that would give the business people that were helping us, I wanted to give them their moment. I wanted this to be like, I wanted to give them this imprimatur, the standard that they would wave and feel very proud of. And it would be akin for a business person to be able to stand on a global stage and do mm. the haka. Yeah. And that's what I wanted. I wanted them, I wanted to create a, a brand that imbued them with that sense of identity and something that was greater. And, and then that's why when, when we really dug into it, we could have called Manaki a lot of things, you know, help.co.nz, I don't know. <laughs> Um, but when you, you know, when you, when you're asking so much for a group of people to stand up and to be counted in the midst of something, you have to appeal to their emotion. And so you need something that's far more mm. emotionally binding, um, than some, something that's very practical. Mm. Like, and so one of the, one of the platforms that came out before us the day before us was extremely it was extremely practical was pragmatic the brand was pragmatic and i was a bit worried when that brand came out i was like oh man there goes our shot they beat us to it and but then once i saw them come out i was like oh really? <laughs> it's just very old school yeah it's very old school what they've done here there they're in the front page of the herald and like i was like i i know like it's having gone. done big brand <laughs> stuff i was like oh yo you missed your head start, man. You missed it. <laughs> and so as, as I, as I think, you know, I probably the listeners don't know, but we've got um, a few shareholders that are pretty high identity individuals. So we've yeah. got um, Adi Savier is one of our shareholders and uh, RTS, Roger two of us, Sheik and Monty Beatham and Dylan Boucher, part of the team. And we, at that time, um, we used that star power. Yeah. The rollout was amazing, bro. It was like, you just canvassed yeah. the internet. Yeah. There's it's, a lot of lessons, right? Yeah. Sorry. There's, yeah. there's, there's yeah. heaps of lessons in it, actually, just like watching the role. I just sat back and watched it and, and sort of took notes. <laughs> you know, it was like, it's some really fundamental lessons in there just for business in general, though. Like, for example, just leading with service, being purpose driven, you know, um, tapping in and utilizing simple things around you, like partnerships and stuff, instead of just typical tactics, like all the kind of key principles that you guys rolled out and, um, in those early weeks to, to get that initial momentum is there's so many lessons in there for anyone that was looking for what to do. Yeah. You know, we, we did two things really super well because at the end of the day, our service is, it's incredibly simple. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I focused a lot on brand mm. and, um, what a powerful and compelling brand message can mean to people. And yeah, so man. we were, incredibly um fortunate to get that rolodex of andy's but what i understand about the nature of digital engagement and online is that um you know for better or for worse uh, when people see their heroes or when people see somebody that they um you know look up to um whether that's aspirational in business or you know the sports hero or whatever it is um that grabs their interest mm. and they want to follow that and they want yep. to get on that thing. And so we did that in two ways. We did that on LinkedIn where we had the most influential business people in New Zealand. And we took that Haka moment 
we enabled them to give us a quote. We turned that into a tile. And then in a week, we turned LinkedIn red. Yeah. Like, you know? And, and um, that's only from a base of 189 advisors. Yeah, right. But just the sheer ability of the back of that. and just Collective reach of it just within New Zealand, bro, is like that attention, that instant upheaval of attention was massive. Because it's not like your auntie saying it, get behind it. No. It's like, you know, it's Sir What's his name or, you know, Big yeah. Bill, this lady or whoever. Exactly, um, bro. Not and to like, diminish the type of people, but yeah, great people. Like, like you say, for good or for bad, um, people with a social media following hold influence, you know, and um, whether it's athletes or whatever, like people listen to the people that they follow and there's not much more to it. So even, you know, guys like Artie and Dylan and people like that, like just seeing that coming from those guys, you would have captured such a wide audience that would never have probably engaged or shared or um, sort of brought into it as well, which is really awesome. Yeah, that, yeah, and you captured it right there. You captured it right there. In LinkedIn, we use business people, celebrities. Mm. In Instagram, we use sports people and, you know, yeah. people with celebrity reach. And, yeah. and they use their influence, thankfully. And we're very grateful to just ask other people like them to get in and, and share stuff as well. And so, you know, when a good person, like a great man, a good man like Adi Sevier asks you to share something for the benefit of all businesses, like, you know, you get you, into you it, like right? a bit of a plonker if you don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the same with Roger and the same with Mons and the same with Dylan. And so they all put their own reputations on the line to ask for help. And so what, what they what they do, and as you correctly identified, and is that they have the cult of celebrity. Mm. And so that's just maximum reach. And in a nation where we have so many small business owners, like, you know, their reach is everything. Everybody knows a small business owner. And so, you know, we got global native reach 14 million um, people on, on that first drop and slightly more on the love letter drop as well. And, um, you know, and that's what set up the brand. And that got people looking beyond the very pragmatic service delivery mm. and, and, you know, really rallied people around helping small business. Yeah, it's awesome, bro. Hey, one thing that I was really curious about, obviously people, when they jump on the platform, there's, you know, you guys, are, like you say, it's from legal to sales and marketing to like business structure to HR, it was everything. What you've been at the sort of, the, I guess, the coal face of a lot of this over the last six months, you will have had a lot of exposure to small business owners who are doing it tough, uh, who are going through the challenges. What's it been like on the mental health side of things? Um, because I think in general, entrepreneurship, uh, it's probably the light's probably not shone on it enough, but the mental health and entrepreneurship is something that we should be paying more attention to anyway. There's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, a lot of it's lonely, a lot of the time people don't get you, but then you add a pandemic to that as well. What's your experience been like on that side of things? Um, what are some yeah, of the we, yeah, yeah, we we did we got a lot of um, about three to four weeks in. Um, there were a lot of stressed out people, and you know we we had messages from people that. We're in very deep, dark places. People that were talking about contemplating suicide and ending their lives. And our immediate response to that was to get uh, mental health professionals onto the platform right. like immediately. Um, so we created that category. So yes, there, there has been, um, you know, this obvious mental struggle um, for a lot of people. Their mental health struggle has been very real because... Uh, in New Zealand, like our our small businesses are, are strapped onto our lives, mm. 
you know, exactly. they, we hitch up our house to our small business and off we go. And so if your business is going to fail, it's probably going to cost you your home, mm. your livelihood, you know, and so that's heavy as that's yeah. really heavy. Um, and that's why we also, you know, initially at the beginning, if we couldn't answer your question, we'd just empathize with you. Mm. It's like, man, sorry. Like we'll try and find somebody, you know, the situation, we know it's tough, but we anything else we can do to help we're going to go look for somebody for you but i just want you to know we empathize with the situation you're going through you're not alone you can talk to these people these mental health professionals if you need to and that was a big part of it at the beginning that was a massive part of it at the beginning um so yeah and, and the struggle is like the first like that's just the shock mm. right that's just the shock the shock waves is what we're feeling now I was about to say it's the long tail of it. That's probably where the real problem is, you know? Yeah. And so like, um, I think the next month and a half, what happens the first quarter of next calendar year is very, very critical to small business. Mm. Um, I know the government has a few plans around digital boost packages and, you know, but there's a lot of industries in there that are doing it rough. Tourism is one, you know, hospitality has been doing it really rough. The big employers um and and what do you what do you do up. like with tourism what do you do you know like there's 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 propping businesses up and and um you know trying to trying to get through that initial period but like if you're looking at a long tail of a few years where an industry is decimated like let's take tourism as an example and you talk a lot about innovation and yeah. and that's that's your jam but like how far can you go in a, in a space like that you know like obviously you, you pivot your messaging and you create a range of new products for a domestic market um like tourism new zealand was largely set up for international tourism so a lot of those guys have changed their offerings and their messaging and stuff like that but outside of that where, where do you go in an industry like that and you know for for business owners in those situations there's tough conversations that have to be had around like whether there's just a viable business there now right Absolutely. I mean, that's the reality, right? And it's like our situation right at the beginning. Like we went, we're not an essential service. Mm. What, what, what the hell? We're an innovation company, like an agency um, providing services to people. So we were like, we were, we were gone too. <laughs> like, there's nowhere. We're essential service. What the mm. heck? Um, the question that we pose to ourselves, and I surely don't have the answer for tourism, but you know, the question that we posed for ourselves was like, how do we make ourselves essential? We're non-essential, yeah. but how do we make ourselves essential to the situation um, in our own way? I love and, that. Yeah. And so the thing that we asked ourselves is just, you know, we asked ourselves that question and what it came down for us, uh, came down to for us was just information, mm. information. Um, but you know, information is, is something that can grow into something else long-term as well. You know, advisory, um, you know, business growth advice, business survival advice, you know, all those types of things are, you know, the universals of doing business. Mm. So we just found this catastrophic way in and, you know, are building a business off the back of that. So I think that you have to just rethink everything, right? Totally. Um, amazing opportunity to rethink. Amazing opportunity to reconnect to purpose though for those businesses as well. Those, a lot of those businesses that have just been quite transactional and they sort of, we just do this and all of a sudden like you can find real fucking deep purpose in what you do by working out how you serve people or in your case, how you become essential, man. Like that's a, that's a beautiful framework. Yeah. Um, challenging as hell though, right? Challenging because, as hell. Yeah, definitely. 
like, and I think if you've waited this long to post that question, tough, yeah. bro. Like, you know, you're a long way down the track and um, you've probably absorbed quite a big hit and used quite a bit of your resources, mm. um, which is why just, you know, you have to, when you're doing that, you, know, you have to act with some speed mm. and you have to execute pretty ruthlessly to be able to get into a, a cadence that enables you to get some traction after you apply yourself consistently over a period of time. Because if you're looking to do that now, a, a lot tougher. What about from a, yeah, just, you just triggered something for me then. What, I guess, what are some of the key things right now that if you're in that fight uh, and whether you're a business owner, yeah, particularly if you're a business owner and you're in that fight, what are some of the key things that you think people really need to get a grasp on? Like mindset's obviously one, a big one, you know, like the mentality and getting clear on your mentality. But what is like from a strategic perspective, what should people be focused on, in your opinion, based on the last cash few flow, man? Yeah, simple. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. It ain't sexy. It's cash flow. Yeah. How much money's going in and how much money's going out? Yeah. That's it. That's that's oxygen right now. Totally. You know, if, if if your business is hitched up to your your personal life, to your home, all those types of things, then it's all about cash flow. But mindset and mentality is the thing that will give you the ability to be able to grind through the process because mm. it, it ain't pretty it ain't pretty we can make it look pretty like you know and we've probably done a good job of creating something that looks pretty and makes the you know the process feel beautiful and you feel a way about it but it, it ain't in the background it's hard graft mm. and so your mindset will get you there but you got to without the dollars you got to have a lock on your cash flow um, and I think you've got to understand how your industry has been affected and, you know, um, what, what's the average value of transaction or project or whatever the case is now. I know a lot of companies, particularly in the digital space, there's no shortage of work, but budgets are nearly half of what they were before. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and that's what I mean about making yourself essential. Like, you know, given the, 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 the current set of information and data that you have, um, I won't say new normal because, you know, new normal is just searching for a plateau that I don't think is going to be there for a long time. It's just relevant data for today, next week, month later. And, um, you know, if you can you know, find a way inside of the data that you have to reposition yourself and have the flexibility to keep on repositioning yourself while you make money through that process, um, I think the moment that you get too rigid inside of what's going on right now, um, that you're going to, you know, struggle. You, you need, I think, you need a high level of just organizational fluidity and, and acuity. Understand the information you're getting and act accordingly. Mm. And just keep. If you can get into that type of um, momentum, that type of process, then I think you can. Each step needs to be a good step, right? So you need to have the best shot of making the best step, mm. the next step. So so much as that is about data, but mindset is the thing that'll drive you through it. Mm, nice what about on the bigger picture bro like um you, you touched on it before you said you know the world's in a pretty fucked up place <laughs> there's there's stuff going on all over the place there's massive issues like climate change and things like that um from you know like i would describe you at, like you're from what i understand anyway like a real purebred purpose-driven entrepreneur like the reason that you do stuff is to for the greater good like you're trying to solve problems you know and at the core of it that's what entrepreneurship is does it excite you 
the fact that it's so chaotic out there at the moment and that that creates more opportunity to find ways to do shit better? Like, are you excited about that or are you scared of what's going on out there at the moment? I'm, I'm excited. Excited, a little bit apprehensive. Um, the macro makes me apprehensive, just like, you know, um, political environments and big cultural and societal issues that are, are going on right now. And you touch mm-hmm. on climate change, that's the challenge of our lifetime, right? 100%. And, and so um, you know, absolutely um, massive problems and, and, and the big ones, the, the really big meaty ones um, that I, I, you know, I, I haven't contributed a lot of thought to, but what I understand about problem solving is the bigger they get, they kind of, you can you can still simplify solutions, elegant solutions to to, to solve problems, but executing those solutions becomes more complex. Mm. <laughs> and so, um, that's what troubles me and makes me apprehensive at the macro. But then, everything's um, off kilter now. The whole world is being tilted, and um, the incumbent systems are. Um, trying to reestablish themselves and trying to rebalance themselves. But, um, you know, dominant players ha, um, have been set off kilter. They're off axis. And um, if they're off that axis, then there is opportunity inside of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that destabilization of those things to come in with a solution that either helps them to stabilize or helps to destabilize them more. So you just have to understand which situation is is kind of more applicable, but I am incredibly purpose-driven. That that's correct. Mm. Um, that's always been the case with you. Like, have you? Or you've always just like that's always been the thing that's driven you to get into do business. I, I um when I was uh, when I was in third form and I went to a boarding school, and um, it kind of like the, the school that I was at, they they didn't. Um, reward you or didn't celebrate academic success and so I found that incredibly frustrating and after um, a couple of terms there I just went home and I was like I don't want to go back there like I put my hand up to ask answer a question my teacher won't even ask (laughs) it's like look past you like this place sucks (laughs) (laughs) just send me to the local school and um, my family wanted me to stay and my grandmother rang me and she was like you know, if you don't stay at the school, what are you going to be? And I didn't even know what it was. But at that time, I said, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Wow. And I didn't really know what it was. This is my third form. So I think I was 12 or 13 years old. Entrepreneurship wasn't cool then either. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But um, I think it was uh, initially about money and about living. After my parents were divorced, I lived in poverty. Real, real bad. It was real bad. My mum worked two jobs as a cleaner just to, to get by as a single mum, raised us in a real rough part of town. Um, and we raised ourselves as well for, for a big part of that. And so a lot of that was like get out mentality. Um, but then as I've got older and, um, you know, I've had the benefit of some experience around the world and understand that I'm incredibly um, fortunate for that experience. Um, the weight has come on me more to actually do something meaningful with it mm. and uh, not to just idly pursue wealth yep. for the sake of wealth. But I will say that money changes things, right? 100%. And, man. Um, 
uh, I think that when you're poor uh, and, and when you're living in poverty, you know, you want to impact your people. And uh, often that happens through social endeavor. But social endeavor is always subject to the people that are handing out the checks, mm-hmm. handing out the money. And so uh, one of the things that I want to change is that um, I want my endeavor to generate the money. Yeah, you want to teach people to fish. Yeah, and I want, well, I just want to generate a lot of money for the benefit of people, right? So that I can put it like, because you're, you're, if you're in the, if you're in the game, you know that you are, your, your fate, your success is strapped to an annual budget from another organization <laughs> with a whole bunch of processes and bureaucracy or, you know, I like the idea of um, being able to generate the money. Like mm. I'm going to sell you something yeah. and I'm going to generate wealth and let's teach people to do that. Like you said, let's pe- teach people to fish, but also let's, you know, let's create some of those generational, generational wealth. Like people always talk about generational wealth, like it's for multiple generation. I like, yeah, but like the generation of it as well, the generation of generational yeah. wealth, <laughs> like that, that's the stuff that um that I'm, that I'm really feeling right now. And I just, I'm finding this, I'm trying to find this, this model that exists in, I don't want to like do social enterprise, but I know that we're going to be testing some things with Monarchy around um, revenue generation in the future. Right. And, um, you know, one of the hypotheses that I have is that inside of an organization like Monarchy, revenue has to be generated in a manner that is seamless and integrated into a process that was going to happen anyway, as opposed to, um, as a result of a membership benefit yeah. or, you know, and I think if you begin to think about people and users as a commodity that you um, charge people to engage with or advertising to talk to or whatever the case may be, um, then you get into these dirty, unelegant um, models uh, that just, you might as well just, you know, forget about the social impact part and like, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, just just fully go down the pathway of commercialization. But I think there's an elegant way that we can make money through the journey that happens anyway inside of business. Um, and so that's what we're exploring with uh, Monarchy. So keep an eye out for that and we'll see if it works. Yeah, but cool. yeah so incredibly purpose-driven, yeah, for sure. And it's quite interesting that you touch on like the poverty aspect of it and the way that you grew up. We didn't have anything, so you you sort of went out and you wanted to get something, and then that's turned into purpose, where you now want to be able to pass that back down. What every single episode that I've of anyone I've ever spoken to, in some way, shape, or form, the biggest adversities in their life have shaped them, and have been the biggest growth opportunities to get them to where they are. A lot of the time is the reason that they're doing what they're doing. Can you talk about what are some of the biggest adversities that you've faced, not just in business, but just in your life in general, and how do you feel they've shaped you? Um, definitely the, um, separation of my parents at the age of 10 was formative. Then I learned that love really wasn't love mm. and, um, that shit doesn't last forever. And you can pray as much as you want that mum and daddy won't break up and that they'll stop fighting. Um, but that don't make a difference either. Mm. And so that was incredibly formative for me. And I also went from a situation where we were living well. My dad at the time was a, as a hotel manager for Lion Nathan. We were traveling. We lived in hotels, bro. Shit. <laughs> and then we went back to the roughest neighborhood in Fairfield and Hamilton 
and then we then state housing and then my mum got her own state housing place by moving us into a house with my cousins there was 15 of us 12 kids in a three-bedroom house and then because we were overloaded they gave us a state house faster then we went to like a really another rough neighborhood and um you know it, it was it was scary because there was a lot of violence and People come in and trying to break into our house and jump through my mum's bedroom window and tap on the door at all times of night and, you know, just like screaming and punching and just the sound of a fight you come to recognise. Yeah. And so there was there was a lot of that type of violence. There were people dying on my street. There were people getting shot on my street. Um, but in the midst of all of that, the other lesson that I learned is that, um, you know, you can make incredible friendships inside of all of that. And uh, as, as tough as that was, they're like some of the most beautiful, uncomplex relationships that I've had yeah. in my life with the people that I grew up with on that street. And I was incredibly moved when I was a, an adult after I'd moved up to Auckland. And one day I was driving through um, Henderson along Rail, Railside Ave, no apparent reason. I think I was going to the mall out there, Henderson, Auckland. And I saw this guy. Um, obviously a homeless dude walking down the street with a box of woodies or whatever he bloody had. Um, you know, you could just tell from a mile away, bro, he was stink ass, like hadn't washed, <laughs> like he was probably half cut. Yeah. And as I drove past this dude, um, I looked at his face and I recognized him from the street that I grew up on, like the kid Shit. that I used to play with every day. I fucking pulled over and I was just like, Chase, Jason. And then like, bro, he like, he um, kind of like dropped his shit and then like curled up into a ball and like thought I was going to attack him violently or something. And he had no recollection of me. Fuck. And he was just like, well, what? I did not. Uh, uh. I was just like, no, Oates, it's me. It's me, bro. It's me. And he's like, and my mates used to call me Patches. I was like, it's me, Patches from Norrie Street. Patches. <laughs> like, Patches. Oh, Patches. Bro, and we just hugged, bro. He was stinking ass my like piss and dirt and but man that was you know that was my friend yeah that was my friend from when i was a kid and for a moment we reconnected like we're just kids playing touch on the on the road in the neighborhood and um i couldn't do anything for him bro i gave him all the money that i had in my pocket and uh, in my wallet and i just bro, go buy yourself some more boxes or whatever of you're off to <laughs> and uh they were living rough at the time someplace out west on Railside Ave, but you know, I'm just, I mean, I just that that that's life is the mm. lesson. It is know? life, yeah, yeah. That's life is one of the big lessons, and you can end up on either side of that ledger at any point in time. And I'm just incredibly grateful for that. So that was major adversity. Um, I had cancer when I was uh, 21 years old, Shit. testicular cancer, and. Um, and so that was that was a rough period for a young man to have to go through. Yeah, bro. Uh, especially when you identify as a young man as your strength and your virality and you get testicular cancer. That's mm. tough as shit, bro. So it took me many years to recover from that. I never forget going into the gym at Auckland University. First time I'd been into the gym and I just had like these little flipping dumbbells, bro. And I was trying to do an incline press with these like, maybe they were like seven kilogram dumbbells. And honestly, I got to about six or seven. I was like, oh, oh, like there's just nothing in me. Shit, and so it had weak. Just, it had just tapped me. It had just tapped me out. 
So what does um, that teach you going through something, through an experience like that, bro? Because I mean, is, is it that life, like, do you just become more grateful for life? Is it that you get this belief that you can fight through anything because you you fucking beat cancer, you can do anything? Like what, what actually do you learn through that process? I don't know if my lesson is universal, but the lesson I learned is that just like, life is fucking hard. That's not the truth for everybody, but that's been my truth. Mm. And, um, I put up on Instagram, you know, you want to be fucking successful. You'd be able to be able to take more pain than anybody else. Totally. Yeah. Like that's, that's my truth. Like uh, I really actually believe that you need to be able to work harder. You need to be able to take more, more pain than anybody else to get through those tough things. And sometimes you won't get through. Sometimes you will not win. Sometimes you will lose, but you must fucking get back up. You must get back up. You must dust yourself off. Believe, like lose belief in everything else, but never lose belief in yourself. Lose belief in all those big systems, but you have the power to get yourself back up, to take an action. So, and sometimes that's very, very hard. It's super fucking hard. Mm. But if you have that ember of belief, can connect to people that can fan that up in you and to hopefully give it some sort of flame keep your mental wits about you, your faculties, and then continue to grind, then you can make it. And don't be like the other thing that I've learned throughout my entire life, bro, is like reinvention. Mm. It's the power, of, you know, the regenerative power of reinvention. We, we, know, we all know people from back in the day who have got to a stage in their life and then that was it. That's as far as they got. They didn't get past that. And they got to this stage. I'm not to talk down about anybody. I'm not speaking lowly about anyone that reaches that point in that time. But they've gone as far in that truth as they could, in that reality as they could. And they haven't been able to go further. So they stayed there. Mm. They didn't know how to sidestep and get away again. They didn't know how to reinvent themselves and go again. And, you know, it comes from when you stop actively seeking out more. When you, when you stop actively wanting to learn, when you believe that you know enough or that you know better, like if you can humble yourself through life and commit to this lifetime of information and learning and all aspects of life, business, physical, spiritual, like everything, then you can continue to grow. But like, it's like a plant, like that plant on your fancy black shelf that you painted the other day. <laughs> as, as soon as you stop feeding it, it will die. And so that's the same. So we know people that have got stuck in places at certain stages in life, but well, it's really common. Regeneration is important. It's massively. Why do we struggle with that so much? So is that just a societal thing that we've been boxed into that? Like where you go and you do your study and then you get your career and then at 65 you retire and then you do nothing. You play golf or like with this kind of like a system that we've all, well, not all of us, but like a lot of people have brought into and that's all they know. Why do you think that we struggle to reinvent ourselves like that? Because, on a simplistic level, it seems like you follow what you're interested in the most and you, you pursue it. You've got one fucking life to live and you should, in my opinion, do the stuff that lights you up the most where you can have the greatest impact, where your skill set matches. Uh, because at the end of the day, mate, like it's short, you get 60 to 90 years if you're lucky and we can do whatever we want with that time. But is it judgment that stops us reinventing? Is it like, and what do you think on that? I think that that's like, it's just, it's just so many things, right? There's so many things. Like the system, for one, keeps you where 
the system wants you to be. Mm. Like the basis of public education was to create more people to work inside of the industrial revolution. Totally. So that's school. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they created school. Yeah. Um, and you know, that was the prevailing system, the prevailing economic system. And so we all live under prevailing economic systems and, um, you know, uh, corporate systems, government systems, political systems, um, that provide the parameters for which you can live your life. Um, the trick is they believe that you're living your own life. They make you believe that you're living your own life mm. and you're actually living your life inside of the system. Um, and so, yeah. Like that's what the system wants you to do. It wants you to get your job, get your qualification and um, pursue this version of whatever serendipity or success looks like inside of that. And that's not to diminish that. If that's what your goal is in life to, to do that, then yeah, um, mine is different. And mine has required me to think beyond those types of things. And that's the type of future that I want to create for my kids as well. So part of it is yes, it's definitely about the system. Um, and so it's about how do we change the system? How do we create new systems? How do we create hacks and workarounds? Um, but you have to understand that, you know, if you do want full control of your life, then you kind of have to take your life off of autopilot and take the stick and start to fly it. <laughs> 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 Otherwise you are like just the person in autopilot, you got your hands on the stick, but you're not actually flying it. So I think that's a, that's a big part. And then like we all have a identity mm. that we're living into and a perception of self that our ego is tied to. Right. And so very hard to fuck with that. Totally. Like, you know, and like to, to actually dismantle that identity of self, that framework and that ego that gives your, you your position inside of wherever your power dynamics lie inside of your life. That's giving up everything. Mm -hmm. Actually, when you start to really delve into that and start to unpack it, you're giving up your identity and your identity is everything. So that's why people don't unpack that shit. I've just got my, for myself, I've got comfortable with unpacking that because of my why, because of my purpose. Because yeah. Yeah. You seem like you're very self-aware, bro. I mean, does, and just going back one step to what you're just saying there is like self-awareness is obviously a big part of any of that, right? Of any change is, is the ability to tune in first. Do you meditate or do anything like that? Like you're on the go. You're such a busy dude. Like I, I, and you're such a creative guy. I imagine you've got a lot going on upstairs a lot of the time. Do you purposely slow yourself down to be as self-aware as you are? Or is that just something that comes naturally to you? No, I had to go through a period of time where I had to um, grow into awareness. Like I, you know, didn't wake up and one day I was Liddy. <laughs> um, you know, I read about it. I practiced meditation. Like anything in life, you have to do what works for you. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of how I treat anything. I like look for the universally what's recognized as the best and what's recognized as the best on the fringes and then practice that and become proficient and then make it work for me. And so um, am I expert? No. Uh, do I attempt to be aware? Yes, because if you don't have awareness, then you are not in control of your actions. And then if you're not in control of your actions, you set in place all sorts of consequences that can have really negative impact on your life and other people's lives. Mm -hmm. So awareness as a um, tool to help you take ownership of action 
um, and therefore not set anything into motion that you don't want to set into motion. Having purpose, yeah, that's kind of how I how I stack it all up. Do I fail at that frequently? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but do I do I understand the the process and you know what I mean? Do I yeah. have the tools to to take time to reflect and and then to check myself and and then to get back into flow? Yeah, for sure. And so what are you trying to achieve, bro? Like what does success mean to you? Like what is the the end goal for you? I think that um that's a complex though. It's just like there's multiple levels for that. Um the greatest success for me is to uh be a fantastic dad um to my kids and to um really impart as much as I can and then to enable them throughout their journey. And um, I've already said to my to my oldest, uh, my son, who's 11 right now, and I don't think that he fully comprehended <laughs> what I was saying to him. But I was just like, he's getting stressed out about school and stuff. And I was like, look, son, I don't, I really don't care about school. <laughs> don't tell mum. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't care about school. What I care about is you finding your purpose, right? Mm. And so whatever it takes, however long it takes for you to find that purpose, that thing that, you know, you believe that you're living for, then I'm going to support you for whatever amount of, amount of time that requires for you to find that purpose. And when you find that, I'm going to enable you to live that. So daddy doesn't really care about school marks and all that type of stuff and how you did in cross country or all those types of things. That's, that's not a success metric for me. I don't, I don't care if you came last in the hundred meters, like who cares? Imagine, <laughs> imagine a world if every kid got that, you know, like yeah. honestly, like if that feedback came to more children, imagine how different the world would be. And so my kid, he goes around and he's just, you know, he thinks about his, he thinks about his purpose. So, I mean, for me, that's winning. And so that's, um, that's a big thing for me. I think that, uh, you know, Maori Polynesian people, um, and, the uh, the challenge that we have in our lives around our health, our well-being, and poverty. Um, we need some new patterns, and mm. uh, we need some new heroes, and uh, we need to be able to see things that tell us that there is a way. And so um, that's one of the other things that I'm determined to do, and to help other Maori and Polynesian people um, to be able to become those types of people that can help uplift our people beyond a social service aspect, but can actually demonstrate tangible financial wealth and being a good person. Mm. You know, you don't have to become this fucking tyrant, Gordon Gecko, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> like, however else we, um, you know, we make heroes of people that are wealthy. Um, you know, you don't have to be able to do that. Um, so, you know, I want to provide um, role models and, if I can be one of those myself one day, then I'd love to, but I'll, I'll help other people do that to show Maori Polynesian there's, an, there's, a, there's another pattern here mm. and then be able to, to be able to scale that out. I think that that's incredibly important. So part of what I've done recently, I've gone back to my old high school, actually. I'm down in Hamilton, Melville High School, and um, I, I launched a foundation and a grant um, for a young Maori Polynesian um, that I'm going to give uh, actually next month, November, we're giving away our first um, grant for um, tertiary school study um, to go on tertiary study. Uh, so a $5,000 grant for one Māori student. That's awesome. So I'm going bro. back to my old school to do that. Yeah. So that's, 
just living it, you know, yeah. and, and doing it. So I think those two things are probably what's the, the things that are most important in my life. I think if we can do those things, then we can get into the detail, but pragmatically, I think we can make a lot of, begin to make a lot of change. Just change the way that we think about who we can be. That's mm-hmm. why I'm like, so many of my mates, like I told you, my mate old Jason, and so my, my, my whether they're locked up in prison or like they're, you know, being homeless, live rough, like live in poverty, live in domestic violence, all those types of things. I often wonder how come I'm different? Like why am I different? Mm. And if I base it on the data, the, the only thing that I can see is that I had the opportunity to escape those environments on a regular basis. After my parents got divorced every school holidays, I'd go and I'd go to my go and stay with my dad. And um, it wasn't like a luxurious holiday. I actually went there and worked. So it showed me two things. I um, it showed me that um, you know this is what wealthy people look like because we've got the opportunity to interact with them, and I got to see their lives, like wealthier people. And probably by that, it was probably by those standards, it was just probably just like you know, median level <laughs> some, of living. Some middle class. Like, Yo, <laughs> you got two cars. What? <laughs> it was probably just middle class, as as you say. Uh, but I got to see something else. And then because I went there to work, you know, from the time of 13 in the holidays, I would work, you know, at least 40 hours a week as a kid washing dishes. I don't know that it was elite, uh, legal, wash dishes or stack crates in the battle or back of the bottle store. <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, I got paid adult wages. I made sure of that, bro. <laughs> awesome. Like minimum wage. I was on like 350 bucks a week and, and I was 12, 13 years old. So this is like 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, so uh, the, I think those things are help shape me and give me the vision to see something other than this truth that so many of us are forced to see. I like it, bro. There's a strong, strong element of just positive contribution coming through in everything that you say, which I think is really admirable. I think we all strive for that. It's what fucking where a lot of fulfillment comes from, right? But um, what about we talk about a lot of the, the stuff, the success and the lessons and that. What would you say your biggest weaknesses are? Um, geez, where do I start? Just the, <laughs> just, the, just the laundry list, man. I think that, um, I think like financially I can get a lot better, like have a basic level of understanding that's in the scheme of what, you know, knowledge about the, the knowledge of money and the way that money really works. I think I can, I can get a, a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I definitely have a gap in and around financial knowledge that I'd love to be able to fill. Um, So, you know, I'm thankful to be able to hang around with a few decent bankers at the moment and just like, (laughs) you got a good network for that, bro. Yeah. Get the, get the insight and get the understanding. Um, I think that I am like, I think that my, my, um, my risk filter is not quite right. Um, it's gotten better, but is it in your two bullish or? Yeah, like I'm not risk averse at all, bro. Like <laughs> I have to have greater sensitivity around risk, and I think that's because I just treat it like data, and like I don't feel emotional away about it. But right. sometimes I'll just shut myself down, and I should feel away about it. And so um, I think that, like I can. I have every confidence in myself, but if if you're um, the crew on my ship, 
I'm going to sail you into some pretty fucking dodgy waters. <laughs> we're going out sailing. <laughs> yeah, we're going out sailing. We're like, we're going into deep, deep, deep out, out in the storm. Um, and so, but see that, that I've had to get better with managing risk on behalf of my people. If it's just me, bro, I'll just risk all mm. like, and, and be damned. So failure doesn't and, phase uh, you at all. Like that's pure feedback for you. Oh, failure definitely uh, phases me, pisses me off big time. It really does. <laughs> um, but I've just learned to deal with that loop really quickly. I have some. I've had an immense couple of immense failures. Can you um, tell us about one of those? Like just just to give context, because it's such a we're all going to experience it on some degree. But the bigger your ambitions and the more you strive for, the bigger the failure that you're going to come into at some stage. You know. I think we just um, we were really close recently to um, to closing a, a, a really big round, <laughs> a really big round of money, and it all went really well um, until we got into the into the DD, and um, I knew that we weren't prepared enough with our financial documentation. But I just fucking let it ride because I felt that at the front end of the um, experience, like the engagement, it had been so great. Mm. And um, it's not that uh, it's it's not that we weren't prepared. We just hadn't told our story well enough, our financial story well enough. So they got the big vision, they got the execution. But then when we got down into the nuts and bolts of it, the financial documentation made sense to every, uh, made sense to us, but to nobody else. Right. Actually, no, I need to take responsibility. It made sense to me, but to <laughs> nobody else. And it was a result of launching two platforms out of one business, Indigo, and not having spun them out with their own set of accounts and run everything through a central organization that made the financial history of those companies very difficult to um, break down and to understand. Right. And so I could have been a whole lot better prepared for that part of the process. And like, bro, that was a seven figure deal. And how do you, how do you move? How do you how do you move yeah. forward from that? How long do you beat yourself up for? And, and, and like, what's your process in terms of just moving on? Do you, because people, you can dwell on it forever and it can fuck the next thing and the next thing it becomes a spiral. But I take it you move on pretty quick. Like, I'm, I just, it's like, all I want is like, if I, if it's getting into that situation, just give me the definitive no. And then once I have the definitive no, I've moved on. Right. Like, I don't want to, like, if we know that it's a no, give me the definitive no. And I've already, it looks like I, it looks like I've just moved on. I'm processing in real time mm. what's happened. But like you, like in this game that we're playing right now, and specific to our game, our business game, is if we lose momentum, we die. And so our game is a constant game of you know keeping um, financial momentum, keeping um, momentum with our partnerships, keeping momentum inside of development, inside of our platforms, inside of sales. Like if anything loses traction, like we begin to die because mm. the weight of doing business is heavy on a small organization. You think about it like we're about 14 people now. We have 
two really big platforms run by 14 people. Mm. And so that's a very small number of people to be running two big platforms, like one group that's got 542,000 people in it and is posting upwards of 100 times a day with a platform that's doing a couple of hundred K gross sales volume a month. And then another platform that's generating a hundred thousand small businesses coming through it and posting questions and engaging with content all right have a base of 14 people. And so as chaotic as that sounds, that's kind of what my financial plan looked like. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, that's why that, that like, and it was a big deal. And so, yeah, it, it, and it, it just it went skew with and it died and um, it died in DD. Yeah. But I just learned from that and like made the adjustments that we needed to make. And the most painful part is um, for me and my failure is failing my team. Mm. That's the most, that's the, that's the bit that gets me. Um, failing the people that I care about and whose livelihoods depend on this. And that's one of the things in COVID that we asked ourselves when we're thinking about what we did, what we would do. It's like one of the big questions we did was like, what can we do that means that nobody will lose their job? Mm. What can we do that means that nobody has to take a pay cut? And so even though we're a small organization that's never had any more than 90 days cash runway, nobody took a haircut. Yeah, amazing. Nobody took a haircut, you know? Everybody kept their jobs through that period. It's like, um, and so that's, that's, that's the part of the failure that hurts. I get angry at myself. Like I manifest my failure as like anger at myself. I don't, um, um, you know, get all sad and mope around. I'll just like have a massive swearing fit at myself <laughs> <laughs> and then just like get on to next, next, next. And, and so next, next, next also means being prepared to deal with failure. Like don't be blind about your failure. Like, don't blindly believe that you're going to be a success. Mm. Like, have contingencies in place for your failure. Have multiple contingencies in place for your failure. And so that's what I always have so that I know if this falls over, I've got this, I've got this. When I begin to feel scared, you talk about fear inside of this thing, like, am I ever afraid or scared of anything? Is that, like, when I don't have well-fleshed-out plans that take account for, you know, things that will typically be unseen or you know problems um that we never saw eventuating like i'm, I'm that guy i will plan down to that level of detail right. um, and so i start to feel scared when i feel like i haven't done the planning and the work that i should have yeah right when there's more that you could have done to make sure that you're across it that makes sense man hey i want to be respectful of your time i know that you're busy and we've we've been chatting for a while now bro but um i've just got a couple of questions to close off uh one thing that's always interested me is uh, obviously Monty's come on board and, and you've built a team where there's a lot of athletes involved. And I know that from a promotional perspective, uh, obviously there's a big reach there and, and whatever, but what are some of the lessons around you? You've always been a high performer on a personal level in your jobs and in your career. What are some of the lessons that you've taken from being around athletes and building a team of athletes around you that have helped you charge forward in business? Um, Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like it's just a real bunch of, like I talked about baseline at the at the beginning. 
like what has always interested me with these guys and when people talk about high performance is um you know what are the traits of these people that enable them to um, perform at a really high level just look this is, okay, I, I just didn't want to read a book bro so when i got some business partners <laughs> they would actually i'd be able to see how they do it <laughs> and, and so um that that's really what it's about right i want to understand you want um, to emerge yourself the mechanics of high performing athletes and how like that guy on the back of your wall right there right he's an yeah. incredibly yeah yeah incredibly high performing athlete what's his mindset how does he match that with work ethic practice like what's his baseline like how do i and so it was just for that it was to to help learn but more than that it was actually to be able to give to those guys because mm-hmm. the way the reason they invested because Roger, Monty, um, Artie, just incredibly um, wise and mature men. And particularly the two guys that are already playing that are thinking about their future beyond um, sport. And so what I wanted to offer them, understanding that they wanted something similar to the things that um, we were doing, was the opportunity to have that pathway and to be able to develop those next set of skills that they want to develop in business and brand and creative and and deal making and, and all those things and so it was a reciprocal thing you know yeah nice they get to be invested and and be a part of what we're building and i get to learn from them and they get to learn from our business but that's all it was purely purely those things and like i, I just you can't look past like if you're in this business and you're building digital communities like both those boys got over a quarter of a million yeah. <laughs> engagement just on instagram like you can't look past that no you know and so um that's just solid business move yeah bro Strategic, <laughs> strategically makes a lot of sense <laughs> yeah yeah cool bro hey if there was a couple of bits of advice uh over the course of your career that or just in your life that you'd want to pass back to a younger version of you or if there's a young buck out there listening to this who's trying to find their way in the world a couple of things that like really stand out whether it's advice you've been given or just shit that you've learned through the lessons that you, um through the journey what would they be bro I think the first one I would give to my younger self is just like, you know, don't get caught up in your ego, young man. Because I definitely went through that when I was a younger man. And um, my, my ego was out of control. And, um, you know, that, that caused me to, to make a lot of unfortunate decisions and, and actions and that adversely affected myself and people around me. And so it wasn't that I was, wasn't incredibly smart or really good at business that um, when I was young, I, I failed. It was because of my ego mm-hmm. and I let that out of control. I let that get out of control. So, you know, a gift is a wonderful thing. If you're gifted in any way, shape or form, um, consider yourself extremely, extremely fortunate. But if you do not have the character to sustain your gift, then your gift won't get you all the way and the things that you have gained because of that gift will surely leave you. So definitely that. That's that's the big piece of advice that I'll give to to younger me. And the other thing is just like just get it goes hand in hand with the ego stuff is that um I really believe and understand now that if you want to build something of 
impact um, uh, and something that lasts, you know, for centuries, not just a couple of years. Um, that you need to, you know, you always hear this cliche of surround yourself with incredible people or people that are smarter than you. But you really you know, have to understand how to build a team, how to be a real leader, how to be a um, servant leader, how to place the interests of others ahead of yourself to get to the place and the destination that you're all trying to get to in your individual lives and as an organization. And as you go through various stages of leadership and, you know, in business, grow larger organizations or, um, you know, out in society, you know, do things for your local communities, cities, whatever, um, you know, you quickly learn that it's actually about team and your success is inextricably linked to the success of the people around you. Mm -hmm. And so um, build incredible people, like build them, you know, and use other incredible people to build them. I don't think you'll ever, um, ever, even if somebody leaves you, I don't think you'll ever regret helping to build someone into the best version of themselves. I 100% agree. I think it's one of the most rewarding things you could possibly do across the yeah. board. <laughs> hey, um, just want to acknowledge you for giving me your time, bro. I really appreciate it. I admire what you guys have done, the way that you lead, the way you serve. Um, obviously, you're a smart business guy, but I think the way you lead with empathy and um, also your ability to just keep it real. And, and it seems to me like what you see is what you get with you. And I think that's, uh, <laughs> you know, like I think that's important, but it's also quite a hard thing to do a lot of the time. So, uh, just want to acknowledge that. I know you're busy, bro. It's also a public holiday today. You could be spending time with your uh, your kids and your wife and you've given up an hour of your time to have a chat with us and, and add value. So I really appreciate that. Um, the, I guess, where do people find you, bro, if they want more? I know there's Monarchy. You've got three or four things going on. So where would you drive people if they're having a listen and want to learn more, man? No, don't, don't. Don't look anywhere. <laughs> just look at, look at your podcast. Don't, don't, don't come ask any I'm, I'm kidding. Just go to, um, like, if there's anything around business and you need help, definitely go to Monarchy. If, you, you know, if your business is struggling and, and you need a bit more exposure and you need some free customers and you want to make some money, definitely go to choice. Go to choice.co.nz and, um, you know, get involved there. Um, oh, there's my Instagram. I share stuff on there. Um, but, yeah, it's just whatever, man. It's like I, I don't ever try to set myself up to be – like a sage or, or know a whole bunch of shit i'll just always the the um what is it like the warning label it's like <laughs> this, this is this is just from my own experience so like please don't go out and do half the shit that i did <laughs> you I might it. choose the wrong half i love it hey last question for you bro the name of the podcast is life livers academy it's about connecting people with the mindset ideas and inspiration to live life to the fullest what does it mean to you to live life to the fullest Man, wake, wake up, breathe, get my kids, just be happy, man. Like at the end of this, if, it, if it's not bringing you happiness, if it's not bringing you joy, just scrub it because shit ain't worth it, bro. What's it's not like a, a minute of agony that you don't need to deal with, like just scrub it, get rid of it. I love Amplify it. happiness, bro. <laughs> I love it, bro. Hey, powerful conversation. There's a lot of value in here, bro. I really appreciate it and really enjoy connecting with you. Thank you, brother. So there you have it, guys. That was the interview with Pat McPhee. 
honestly one of my favorite conversations to date. Uh, I've personally always believed that entrepreneurship and building a business is one of the greatest vehicles for personal growth and personal development. And I think that was just really highlighted in that conversation with Pat. Um, if you're a New Zealand business owner, I highly recommend that if you haven't done it already that you go and check out Menaki.io. That is the platform that Pat and his team have launched uh, to help small businesses around New Zealand cope with the current circumstances given everything that's going on in the world with COVID-19. Uh, it is a very difficult time to be in business, to be growing a business, uh, and it's really important that you have access to top information and top mentors. So Pat and his team have pulled together some of the brightest minds in New Zealand business, uh, and you can access them at menaki.io. So highly recommend that you go and check that out. Um, also, follow Pat on Instagram. It's at Pat McPhee. He is a very honest and insightful guy. He documents and shares a lot of his journey in entrepreneurship uh, and you know he's producing valuable content very regularly so go and check him out and uh, as always guys like if you're enjoying the podcast please just share it out with your friends and family on social media uh, you know given the current circumstances with business and everything if you've got friends or family members that are trying to build a business or have been in business for a while share this episode with them because it's not every day you get to tap into a mind of someone like Pat uh, and you know he's been in the game a long time and there's a lot of really valuable and honest insights uh, that he shared in that podcast so please do share it out um, and yeah as always really appreciate your attention thanks for joining me and I look forward to connecting with you in the next episode